Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we will continue on with our series of investing in China conversations and dive deeper into the portfolio considerations and risks to be mindful of along with the implications of the ever-evolving relationship between China and the U.S. So joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome Lucy Q, investment strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Lucy, good morning to you. Welcome to Top of the Morning and looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks for having me. So, as our listeners know, throughout the course of this week and into next, we are having these series of conversations based on CIO's recent Investing in China publication. Lucy, throughout this week, your colleagues spoke about the rapidly growing Chinese equity and bond markets. And throughout the course of the week, we have been hearing this phrase when it comes to investing in China to big to ignore, which by itself is not necessarily a reason to invest. So Lucy, can you make the case for our listeners, our clients, why should global investors incorporate Chinese assets in their portfolios? Uh, Thanks for the question. Um, Indeed, too big to ignore itself is not a a reason to invest. It's a reason for you to take notice. Um, But I give you two reasons why you should consider Chinese assets in your portfolio one from a returns perspective and one on the risk. Um, so return-wise, we do expect Chinese assets returns to be well above uh, its developed market peers in the coming years. Um, on the equity side, we all know the country's economic growth um, potential, and we do foresee better profit growth from its corporate side as well. Um, that coupled with um, still undemanding valuation relative to U.S. peers on the overall market, uh, we do expect better equity returns uh, for China relative to DM. Um, On the bond side, the key appeal for for Chinese bonds is really the yield pickup. Um, The government bond is is yielding over 160 basis points in terms of yield pickup relative to the U.S., and corporate bonds is even higher. Um, So this yield pickup will also translate into better uh, over-the-cycle returns for for Chinese bonds than than U.S. or, or European peers. Um, then coming to the risk side, um, we return has to come with a, a, a little bit of more risk. So we know Chinese assets do have a little bit higher risks, but it does mask uh, a bit of a diversification benefit for China. Um, think about as a very domestically oriented economy um, for, for China, as well as uh, a, an independent monetary policy framework um, for China. Um, that kind of results in a very different economic and interest rate cycles um, than the rest of the world. Um, give you an example. So in 2018, uh, many people remember it was uh, the peak of the U.S.-China trade conflict um, in the initial stage. Um, Chinese um, policymakers, um, so the, the central bank, actually cut rates um, throughout that cycle, while in the U.S., um, Treasury yield actually peaked higher, especially in late 2018. Um, so that is a result of different policy as well as a growth uh, trajectory of the two countries. Um, then going into last year in the COVID cycle, 
um, Fed cut rates very quickly. Um, but China, actually, since last April and May, the yields started rising in the domestic market because um, the first thing first out, China got the uh, COVID um, pandemic under control and economy started to recover way before the rest of the world. Um, so that resulted in very different trajectories of interest rate and economic. Um, lastly, just this year, in the past two weeks, we've all seen what U.S. Treasury market has done. Um, but in China, the government yields actually remained quite steady. So um, give you three examples in the past history book. But um, all in all, just want to um, tell you that China does offer you a bit of a diversifying um, angle for your investment portfolio. Lucy, that was very helpful breaking down the investment case. And maybe we can take it a bit further and dive into some asset classes. And again, I will remind our listeners that earlier this week, Lucy, your colleague Jing Cheng Yu spoke about the components, the mechanics, the complexities of the Chinese equity market. But from your vantage point, I'm curious, what are the return risk characteristics of Chinese equities? Um, so when we talk about equity, it's important to also talk about sort of the sector composition and evolution. Um, so contrary to many people's beliefs, um, Chinese equities is no longer a very value or cyclical oriented market. Um, and similar to its transition of the economy, um, it is now largely a consumer internet or, or tech uh, concentrated index, especially on the offshore index. So MSCI China, many um, international investors um, default benchmark for for China. Um, 60% of MSCI China is in what we call a tech plus uh, complex, which includes uh, communication services, uh, consumer discretionary, as well as IT. Um, So very similar to U.S. equity, China actually offers a lot of uh, growth sector as well as a slight defensive tilt. Um, Another myth, I would say, is that China, Chinese economy has been export-oriented in the past, uh, but it's actually transitioning. Um, so on the equity index, the revenue of the many corporates, so over 85% of the revenue is derived from, from domestic. Um, so its equity market actually does give you a good link to China's domestic consumption rather than, say, the export-linked uh, performance. Um, we mentioned earlier that we do expect close to 10% per annum returns in the coming years. Uh, that largely comes from uh, 2 to 3 percentage higher earnings growth relative to U.S. equities, um, as well as 1 to 2 percentage point um, from a valuation gain um, in, in terms of return composition. Um, but the trade-off here is that Chinese equities do uh, exhibit higher volatility, especially the onshore index. Uh, given we, our colleagues mentioned earlier, a lot of the uh, participants are retail focused. Um, in the offshore, it is indeed more institutional um, heavy market. Um, but overall, we want to emphasize the diversification benefit of Chinese equities. If you look at onshore China, the correlation of that equity index relative to global equities is only 50%. Um, for offshore, MSCI China is about 70% correlated. Um, this uh, is much lower than 84% correlation for emerging markets or 97% U.S. equity correlation to global equity. So as a U.S. investor, adding more U.S. equities does not give you more diversification. Uh, but in contrast, adding China does you, give you a big, better bend for the buck, sort of 
so to speak, for the correlation diversification perspective. Lucy, maybe we can flip the coin and speak about the bond market a bit. Yesterday, I spoke with Brendan Azevedo about the Chinese bond market. Again, the components, the mechanics of the Chinese bond market. So in this context, uh, similar to what we just covered with equities, can you walk us through the risk return characteristics of the Chinese bond market? Sure. So a uh, key feature for the bond is really the yield pickup we mentioned before. Uh, the onshore government bond gives you 160 basis point over U.S. Treasury on the 10-year tenor. Um, the offshore China high yield um, bonds, uh, which is mainly dominated by property developer issuers, um, gives you 250 basis point over U.S. high yield. Uh, while both um, Chinese high yield and U.S. high yield are roughly single B rated um, credit complex. So same rating, higher yield pickup is really the key appeal for, for Chinese bonds. Um, and the low correlation story uh, transferred to bond as well. Um, and on the onshore CGB even has a lower correlation than, than its equity peers. So it's 35% correlated to global bonds. Um, the offshore Chinese corporates is slightly higher correlation. Um, it's also issued in dollars. Um, it's a, a little bit over 70% correlated to the, the global bond complex. Um, but for U.S. and European bonds, that correlation number is well over 80%. Um, so again, I would say the low correlation, better diversification story um, is the same for Chinese bonds. So now that we have a better sense for the investment case, as well as the return risk characteristics of both Chinese equities and bonds, for U.S. investors, Lucy, who may want to put some money to work, what are the potential funding sources for adding Chinese asset classes to a portfolio? Yeah, so I would very much encourage you to go to our report. There's a concrete example of how a U.S. investor might add China to our um, CIO House View portfolio and illustrate concretely sort of what return and risk per, uh, profile can you expect. But um, roughly speaking, for Chinese equity side, the most obvious place for funding is EM equities because 40% of it is already in China. Um, and zeroing to offshore China, um, I would also um, recommend looking at U.S. large cap growth, given we spoke about earlier um, the defensive and growth sector concentrated sort of sector composition is somewhat similar to U.S. large cap growth. Um, you're diversifying the region, but, uh, but swapping a very similar sector composition index with the other. Um, lastly, the international developed market, so EFA, is also a potential funding source to fund Chinese equities. So EM equities, um, U.S. large cap or, or EFA are potential funding source for, for the equity component for China. Um, coming to fixed income, um, it's important to match the duration, uh, the risk profile, as well as the yield profile for, for bonds. Um, so for Chinese government bonds, because it's a rather risk-free asset, so the sovereign is a single A-rated sovereign. Uh, uh, China's rating is similar to Japan um, as a comparison. Um, so the government bond um, is somewhat similar in terms of risk profile to USIG, um, as well as the duration profile. It's slightly on the longer side, seven to eight year. Um, so given the low risk uh, profile, I think USIG is a potential funding source for, for Chinese government bonds, and you get a more yield pickup on the China side. 
um, for high yield, uh, the profile is quite similar to EM dollar bonds or or even U.S. high yield because we mentioned that both U.S. high yield and Chinese high yield dollar bonds are single B rated um, credit complex. Lucy, thank you for the guidance in terms of sources for funding allocation into Chinese assets. And I will point out quickly as well, the publication you cited, Investing in China, is available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. So in particular for our clients listening in, that's a point of reference, but you can always contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. So Lucy, I know we're beginning to come to the end of our time together today, but in the way of final thoughts, I'm curious to get your take on the implications of the U.S.-China strategic rivalry. This conversation is quite timely, recording on Thursday, March 18th. I believe the U.S. and China are getting ready to kick off a summit in Alaska today. So curious to get your thoughts here. Indeed, uh, that's a very good question because U.S.-China's strategic rivalry is often cited as a key risk investing in China. But paradoxically, I think we we actually consider it strengthens the argument for including China as a diversifier. So so think about it that way. Um, if U.S. China are pursuing very divergent um, economic, technological, and, and political models um, running on dual tracks, um, investors should actually aim to build your portfolios resilient enough to withstand um, all possible outcomes. So rather than putting all your eggs in in one basket and and focusing everything on one side, um, perhaps you should protect or, or build your portfolio in the sense that uh, putting eggs in both baskets um, in a way. And um, and and another thing I want to mention is that um, oftentimes we've focused on U.S. and China in competition, um, but in certain areas, um, the countries can be in collaboration. So on issues over North Korea or perhaps climate change. Um, there are also collaborative areas so um, that that uh, the both sides would collaborate on. Um, so we, we hope this report will help you to, to view the opportunity more objectively. So we've highlighted the benefits of adding China to your portfolio for diversification and return potential. Um, in the coming days, um, my colleagues will talk about the risks as well um, in China. Um, so as a as a ending thought, I would say um, Chinese assets does give you higher return and um, better diversification benefit for your portfolio. Um, and considering the potential risks uh, from the, the our report and the coming podcast channel, um, perhaps um, try to evaluate the the opportunities more objectively and try to put your eggs in both baskets. Thank you, Lucy. Very helpful. And to your point, yes, we will be joined on top of the morning on Tuesday, March 23rd by Mike Gord for a deeper dive into the risks associated with that story. So looking forward to that conversation. But Lucy, thank you for joining us today and for providing the helpful insights that you did into the portfolio considerations when it comes to allocations into Chinese assets. Thank you again for your time, Lucy. Thank you, Dan. And again, today we have been joined by Lucy Q, investment strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the blog that Lucy has been making reference to during our conversation this morning. 
as part of the Investing in China blog series, Portfolio Considerations. So for clients of UBS, you can always contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that blog directly or if you would like to learn more about today's topic. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.